Chris and Chris Talk Movies. Hello, and welcome back to the podcast. My name is Chris Ferry, and of course, this is my co-host. My name is Chris Huddleston. And today, we are both very excited to be talking to you about a brand new film out on Hulu now. It's a Hulu original called No One Will Save You. have a synopsis for us monsieur i do so as you said this is a 2023 film and it is directed by brian duffield it stars caitlin deffer i don't know how to pronounce this name elizabeth kalouv zach duhame lauren l murray some other people um and the synopsis from imdb is as such an exiled, anxiety-ridden homebody must battle an alien, actually several aliens, who's found its way into her home. So what we're going to do, since this is brand new, we're going to give our overall general thoughts, and then we're going to come back and really go in-depth with the plot, because I feel like we need to talk about the whole thing. So uh, so if you know if this is a movie that you want to watch and you have Hulu, don't allow us to spoil it for you if you want to see it, because there's a lot to it. So what did, what did you think of it, Christopher? I enjoyed it. I was impressed by it. Um, I had seen the trailer uh, popped up on a bunch of my various feeds. Um, it is horror. It's not my first go-to. I don't rush to that corner especially if it looks scary and the trailers did make this look very scary um it feel it's very well made and i think it looks great it feels like a very small film and what do i mean by that i mean like it was written and planned as though they would have maybe a limited budget and they were prepared to make it I don't know what the budget was on this. Um, It is a few locations. The scope of the thing is sort of one small town. So there's, they go to the police station and they're on main street there, but they're mostly in interior houses and in the yards of those houses. Um, It's a small cast and it's essentially a one hander. I mean, it is this, uh, it is this young woman. um, What's her name? Kate, the, the, the actress's name yeah, or the yeah. character ever. So her name is Caitlin Dever, Caitlin Dever, right. Who looked familiar to me, uh, but I didn't recognize her from her other work. If you look up her, um, other filmography, um, there's definitely some recognizable stuff, but 
I thought she did a fantastic job. It does really just follow her. And there's about 90 words in this whole film. You know, I'd say it may be short of a silent film. It feels mm-hmm. throughout like they are deliberately trying not to have characters speak. Mm-hmm. There are a couple of scenes where you would expect people to talk to each other and they make it plausible that they don't, but they don't. And I think that's really interesting. That's something I'd like to get further into. But what are your first blush thoughts? Yeah, so I would echo a lot of what you've said there. Um, I I thought this was very well done. She, I felt, uh, is is fantastic. Um, It's got to be, I would imagine, not being an actor, but I would imagine having to act without speaking for almost an entire film is not easy. Um, because a lot of this is just screams and grunts and sighs and, and, you know, that kind of thing. I also would imagine it's probably difficult to write a script for a feature length film without any dialogue. Cause you think, you know, last week we watched, uh, inherent vice, which is almost nothing but dialogue, you know? <laughs> so, uh, you know, very, very different films, but yeah, yeah, I, I really, um, this was a little bit on my radar. I, I had seen some things about it, but knew very little about it going in. Um, it, it sort of plays like a, a home invasion movie, except it's not people invading her home. It's it's aliens. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I thought it was really well done. And I think maybe now at this point we should get into the plot because it's it's kind of hard to talk about all of this without that. But I thought it was very well directed, very well acted, um, you know. So so this is your, again, your warning that we're going to spoil this. So initially it, it starts out with her. Her character is named Bryn, I think is, is mm-hmm. what the name, B-R-Y-N-N. Yeah, Bryn. And, and I, so this, this actor is around 25, I think, or 27 or something like that. I thought she was a teenager in the, when it starts, I thought, oh, you know, this is her parents are going to be somewhere or whatever. Well, she, we don't really get a lot of explanation on this, but we don't know anything about her father. There's a little bit of a flashback with her mother, but her mother is no longer living and she has, I guess, inherited this this big, beautiful farmhouse on the outskirts of this small town. And she had a friend named Maud that we learn more and more about as the film goes on. But initially, we just know that Maud has died about 10 years earlier. And Bryn writes letters to her, you know, even though she's no longer living. And there's one scene where she goes and visits her, her gravesite. But we then find out she's basically um, sort of an outcast from the other people in this town. And there's one scene where she actually goes into the town to the police station. And this Maud's father is the chief of police or the sheriff or something like that. And she almost literally runs into Maud's parents and is kind of surprised to see them. And the mother literally spits in her face. So we know something has happened with Maude that she is is being blamed for and the and basically nobody in the town likes her uh because of this. So pretty early on in the film we see a um this alien comes into her home and it's kind of uh what we think of as sort of like traditional gray alien with the big head and, and the big eyes. And she has to battle it and then um then there we see there are more types of aliens. There's kind of a big sort of spider looking thing with long arms and legs and uh and she battles them as as well. So do you want to talk a little bit about the plot? Yeah, I don't know if I missed all, anything up to that point. Well, one of the things that was struck me about this film is um it gets right to it. Yes. Right? I mean, normally there's not a lot of got, setup this sort of inciting incident with the 10, 15 minute mark of a film. Right. And they'd spend some time developing act one and you don't really get into the, uh, you know, the kind of meat and potatoes until you get into sort of act two closer, you know, well into the movie. 
in this one, we establish who she is. We establish that she lives alone in this house and that she's got this whimsical little model of the town. Um, that she, we establish she doesn't really have anyone. And, and, and so she, you know, she puts herself to bed at night and we see that she's got a friend, a picture of her BFF. And, and we get all that in, then she goes to bed and then she hears a noise and, and, you know, so you think, oh, okay, here we go. Um, and oh, it's raccoons. But then she hears another sound and she goes to check and the front door is open and you're like, well, that's never a good sign. Mm -hmm. Um, and like right then she sees something moving around in there and you think, well, it's a person, but it's making alien sounds. Mm -hmm. And so you go, wow, that was fast. But then the thing, you know, she makes a noise and the thing comes upstairs looking for her. I mean, we see it right away. It's like, here's a girl. She lives in a house. She's all alone. You'll probably learn more about that later. Uh-oh, someone's in the house. It's an alien. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's right yeah. there. Mm. So you go, oh, okay. And yeah. One of the things I really like about this movie is that it continues to up the ante. It does, yeah. So it's like, well, if the if the first thing that happens 10 minutes into the movie is that she sees a very obviously alien alien in her house, where is it going to go from here? Right? And it does a pretty good job of tripping that along. One of the I I will tack a small critique to that in that it, while it does a good job of constantly raising the stakes and up in the ante, in ways that you're like, well, they can't, how are they going to go bigger than this? And they do. Um, I think a lot of the middle and the little middle and the, the second part of the movie, it'll be like, oh, well, there's another alien in the house. So she goes in the basement and then she hears something in the basement. So she goes outside and then she sees some, something outside. So she goes back in the house. I'm like, well, there's an alien in the house. But that alien's not there anymore, or you know what I mean? So mm -hmm. it kind of really, if we establish these alien intruders are looking for her instead of just poking around and she's because there's a fair amount of that. There's a lot of her hiding behind things, covering her mouth so she doesn't, you know, make a doesn't squeal or or hear breathe too loudly while an alien is just kind of poking around. Mm-hmm. Or looking for her, but slow. You know, there's a lot of hiding from the Velociraptor, like that scene mm -hmm. in Jurassic Park. Um, but there, there were some times, and I didn't, you know, it's not that kind of movie, so I didn't go back and parse it all out. But you're sort of like, she gets away from one, and then she kind of runs into the lap of another one, and then she's running from that one. And I'm like, well, what happened to the first one? I mean, now, aren't you now running from two of them? You know what mm -hmm. I'm saying? Yeah. So I feel like the movie starts some threads that it kind of conveniently abandons in in part by artfully upping the stakes and in part by just sort of being like, oh, we'll never know where that other one went. But, you know, these aliens aren't telling us what they're up to. So don't worry about it too much. Focus on the thing you're afraid of right now. You know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's a minor critique because I think they do it pretty well. But in a movie in which a lot of it is you're in an interior trying to evade or escape an intruder, which becomes intruders, it loses the math sometimes. Mm -hmm. You're like, wait, wasn't there one in the dining room? So where is that one? Um, you know, you were just literally three minutes ago, you were hell bent on getting out of the house. But now you're hell bent on getting back into the house because you know what I mean? Yeah. Wouldn't you wouldn't you still be scared to go back in that? You know what I mean? I don't know. I don't know. I, but. Um, yeah, so so I guess we'll just work our way through it. Sure. So yeah. this alien shows up and sure enough, there's the reveal and they have this kind of telekinetic technology or power. Mm -hmm. And there's these sort of beams of light, like you'd expect from the flying saucers that sort of can slurp people up into the, you know, they, they beam them up. 
but they also could use whatever this is horizontally and the aliens themselves have a sort of a telekinetic power where they can levitate objects and blow open doors and freeze her and lift her up and turn her around. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I, so the first alien finally catches up with her and she's grabbed like the steeple from one of her, from the town hall or something that's pointy and has a little bell in it. <laughs> I like mm -hmm. the little bell. Yeah. And so the thing kind of, she's running for the door and the thing grabs her and then whips her around in like a pirouette and her arm holding the thing flings around almost inadvertently and, and skewers him right in the temple, like right in the sinks, this thing right into the head of this alien. You're like, Oh, and I, for a wild moment, I thought, Oh man, is the premise of this that the aliens are coming? And this is like ET. This is one of the kids. Oh, and she kills one of the aliens kid. And that's no one will save you from the angry alien parents who are coming to avenge their child. That it's didn't occur that. to me. It's yeah. not that. But um, so she gets up the next day and this thing is still lying dead in her front hall. Right. And she has the and she sees some some townsfolk behaving oddly and she gets the bright idea. She's like, oh, I'll just leave town. You know, I'll, mm -hmm. I'll get out of Dodge. And she gets a bus ticket. And on the bus, there's clearly some Which I, sort of possessed. I want to weird... interrupt you for just one second. I liked that because no people never do that in movies. You know, it's just like, hey, let's just leave. Let's get away yeah. from here. You know, and it's great because she doesn't talk about it, but they do a really yeah. nice nonverbal moment where you see her get. She sees a bus, and you see the light yeah. bulb go off. She's like, oh, I'll just leave. Like yeah. I don't need to stay here. Yeah, I'll just run for my life. You know. Yeah. Um. Because this nobody for we don't know yet, but nobody in this town likes me. Um, and uh, that turns out not to be good because there are some town people that are sort of possessed by the aliens that are coming after her. And it wasn't clear to me like the bus driver didn't seem to be possessed. It didn't seem mm -hmm. like everyone was possessed. I didn't know why they were coming after her in particular. Versus, no. say, the bus driver. Yeah, like why they was yeah, as though they don't. They're like, oh, you can't leave town. But it's sort of like, why? What's the big deal? You yeah. know what I mean? She does seem special in this movie, and not just because we follow only her. But it was never quite clear to me why the aliens seemed to think that she was special. Right? Uh, I'll. Like, I she's read. She's trying to leave town. Why are they? I read an in. I read an interview with the director and I'll I'll talk about some of the things that he said when we get to the ending. Okay. Well, I've been talking, so can you pick it up? Kind of explain some of that. So we so she kills the one alien and then there uh, I think the next alien that comes along that she fights is there's like a little alien. Um that uh, sort of looks like the gray aliens, except he's little. It's like he's almost like a dwarf gray alien or something. Um, he's little with big hands. She, he's got like big yeah, arms. Yeah. Big hands. And she she fights him and kills him. And then there's another, there's the uh, the kind of spider type one that, that I was talking about, where it chases her. And um, one of the reasons why she she tries to take a bus is her car won't work anymore. So they've like, you know, um, seized her car or whatever to where it, it will no longer Well, work. none of the power in the house. Yeah, all the power is out and everything. The water so, works and the gas works, but the electricity doesn't work. So the alien, so that alien tries to get her and it gets, I think she like jumps through the car or something like runs through the car and it has these big gangly limbs. So it gets stuck in there and it punctures the gas tank trying to get out and she lights the gas tank and blows it up. So I think that's three that she had killed at that point. Yeah. She's um, racking up quite a, quite a good body count here. Yeah. So then, um, she, uh, let's see, is it around that point where they, the, the aliens trap her. And so the, the, um, uh, the other townspeople that she sees that are under the control of the aliens you can see that there's something moving around in their throats. And so the, the aliens freeze her inside the house in this kind of sort of tractor beam thing that they have. And they insert this 
sort of squid-like thing into her mouth. One of them kind of coughs it up like a hairball. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It coughs it up and then it and then it goes into her mouth. Well, then we have this scene where it's like everything's back to normal for her. Her house is all, you know, restored and everything. Everything's perfect. Her best friend is there. Her mom. Her is best there. friend is there, and her mom is there. And of course, you know, okay, this is you know, she doesn't know this, but you know that they've, uh, you know, they they have her under their control, thinking this. And I don't remember exactly what happened as to why she breaks out of that. Well, um, it's well, I, she it's, cough it's up the well thing? done. I, she sort of, she sort of realizes this is all too good to be true. Like there's a part of her that's like, like how sometimes you're in a dream, you realize you're dreaming and you go, wait a minute, she's dead. She can't be here. And she even says, I don't remember if it's her mom or if it's Maud, but she says, I'm sorry, Maud <laughs> or mom. Yeah. And she shoves her hand down her throat and rips this thing out. And then she's back. And then it's like waking up from the Matrix. She's filthy and sweaty and tear-stained. Right. And she's back in the basement. And so is that where the point where she goes outside and that uh, she throws this, the squid thing outside and then it uh, the tractor beam comes down? Yeah. I don't know if I'm skipping some stuff. We skip some uh. stuff, but these are the broad strokes. It, it Then the escalation is that she ends up in the ship. Well, so, so we want to, there was one, uh, uh, is it, is it before that, that it, that the squid thing is there, the tractor beam comes down and then it, the, the squid thing grows into a, a duplicate of her. Oh, right. Is that before she goes up into the That's ship? That's before she goes up in the ship. Yeah. So, right. So Which, that was a really great scene. I thought, um, so this thing she that went, she's ripped out of her throat, the beam hits it. The beam is sort of there. What everything they do everything with these beams mm -hmm. and and it starts to sort of form like a blood golem around itself in this in this beam of light and she's just running so but then she's out in the woods and she turns around and there she is sort of a perfect clean hair is all perfect mm -hmm. you know unblemished version of herself looking sort of curious and approaching her and in in like an embrace and she's coming in for a hug and so she hugs it and then it stabs her in the, in the yeah. stomach right it stabs her in the stomach but then she has a box an cutter knife, yeah exacto knife and she cuts its throat and kills it and i thought that was a really interesting scene where you know she holds it and kind of hugs it like and i just thought yeah that was really not something they typically, I think, would show in a movie where a person is like killing a clone of themselves. Right. But I just thought, imagine what you you would be going through in your mind if there were an exact duplicate of you and you've just killed it and it's in your arms. You know yeah. what I mean? That well, seems like kind of a natural reaction that it's. That was the first moment in this film. And it's we're near the end now. Mm -hmm. uh, but that was the first moment in this film where I felt like it was overtly symbolic. Mm -hmm. And I started thinking, oh, OK, I need to start thinking about this movie as. You know, not allegorical, but but it's using it's telling. It's telling a story using heavy symbolism. So mm -hmm. I tried to think back. Because before it was just a, you know, it was a young woman and we, we, you presume you're going to find out why the town doesn't like her, right? It's pretty sloppy filmmaking if you don't, and you do. But I'm like, I thought that was just sort of seasoning and this is a good old home invasion, alien chase, aliens trying to get you a movie. But then I started to think, oh no, they're, I'm not trying to say something per se, but they're. They're working on another level here because I'm like to take time out and have that thing turn into a doppelganger of her and then the hug and the stab and the counter stab. I'm, it's just all it all started to feel to me like. I'm supposed to start to see um, the meanings of these things, right? And I, I hadn't been thinking that the film really had any meanings that it was. Mm -hmm just a chase story right mm -hmm. 
Um, and I think they double down on that. From there on, it becomes even more overt, right? Because it's it's soon after that that she does get beamed up into the ship. Mm-hmm. And there's a bunch of aliens in there, and they're all, she's frozen. One of them sort of touches her forehead, and then we see her memories. We see why the town hates her. She has killed her friend. And it it's clear from the reshowing of it that they were having an argument when they were like 12. And her friend Maud shoves her. And in her rage, she grabs a rock and wheels around and, and cracks Maud in the head, from which we presume Maud dies. So there's a Cain and Abel moment there where one sister kills the other with a rock to the head. I mean, not a car accident, right? Not a, but, but hits her in the head with a rock. I mean, that's, that's Cain and Abel. Right. Um, you know, like 12 year olds do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so then I started to think, okay, well, this is, this is religious. Some of the aliens are doing things that aren't like crucifix, but they are very, they have very angular arms and they're sort of doing these symbolic uh, gesticulations that I mm. that on one hand all look like they're sort of signaling to the ship, but I'm like, you guys are telekinetic. You're you're doing a semaphore here to signal to the ship. Like it had a quasi religious vibe to it, so all of this religion stuff sort of started spinning in my head, you know. And then all the Prometheus stuff where he's tying that to Christianity and sort of implying that the origins of Christianity are somehow from the creators, and you know. Mm-hmm. Um, it, I'm talking the whole time you talk now so we find out what happened yeah so we find out what happened and then the it's basically like the you know the and, and I, I'm guessing the aliens at that point learn what happened to her too and you see you know you see sort of close up on the alien and they're expressionless but it's maybe like they you know, feel concern or whatever. And this is where I'd read interview with the director. And he said he didn't want to make it like he didn't, didn't, you know, thought it would be corny if they had something like, you know, the alien has a tear rolled out its cheek or something. (laughs) No, you think, but he said, uh, you know, that it, that the, you know, the idea that you wanted to, to get is that they feel a little bit bad for her. Um, and so then ultimately what happens is they, I don't remember if they beam her back down or not, but the ending of the movie hmm. is it's like, oh, she's wait. back in the house. Oh, Sorry, go ahead. There is one key moment. So after they are sort of reading her mind and we see that this thing happened and we see that she was close to her mom and we see that her mom died. There is a moment where she's sitting at a table opposite Maud, and mm-hmm. she reaches oh, yeah. out and touches Maud's hand. Yeah, because they're basically like they've they've reenacted everything, and it's sort of yes. like these three D representations of yes everybody. But then there's this moment that didn't happen. That is a mental construct where she reaches out and touches Maud's hand, as if to say, "Can you ever forgive me?" Mm-hmm. Right. I didn't mean it. I wish whatever you want to read in that moment, it's nonverbal. But it is a supplicating move and it is a apologetic move. Right. And it's a tender move. It's mm-hmm. a loving move where they touch. And that's the moment where we cut to the alien who's always like, oh, it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> or whatever the alien is thinking. Or, hmm, this one's different. But then the end. And, and the. Uh, okay. Yeah. So the end is, so it's like the, it, it's basically like, so at the beginning of the movie, we see her, you know, come out of her house and she looks all happy and everything. And, you know, you don't know any of this yet about the, the problems with her life. And then the, we do this at the end again, where it's sort of like her coming out of the, you know, the house and, you know, she looks happy and everything. And we, one thing that we didn't talk about, there was one scene earlier in the film where she's playing, a record like an old like 50s or 60s record and there's some kind of like she's doing she's like dancing by herself right where i think knock, even does she not have on like any the, door even does she have like the little you know the things that you used to be able to buy where you could have like 
the feet placed out, you know, for where to put your feet. And so it's her outside and there's like this dance area that's been set up and it's a bunch of the other townspeople that have the alien things in in their neck, but they're all happy now. They're not angry with her, or, you know, wanting to fight her or anything. And she's dancing with them. And they're doing like, the dance like a Hollywood musical. Like a Hollywood musical. Yeah, exactly. And it's all choreographed and, and everybody's having a great time. And at the end of which she looks directly into the camera as you would in a musical. And she does the sort of a gesture of like the, end. you know, she's breathlessly smiling, wildly yeah. happy. And it, it struck me as a Twilight Zone moment, right? Right. I mean, it's a very mm -hmm. presentational very referential like twilight zone moment and the camera kind of pulls up above this idyllic miniature ver like it's it's like the it's the town as it would have appeared in her little miniature diorama that she built at her yeah. house uh and as it pulls up we see the spaceships flying there and there's multiple spaceships yeah, all yeah. so the, the aliens yeah. have invaded and for whatever reason she's this is she gets it. and my first thought was well she doesn't have a thing in her throat so they just let her be her and live in this fantasy world that she wanted to because they found her story moving or because they decided she deserved redemption somehow still invading but we don't need to possess her because she's redeemable or something and then i thought just now i thought well when you have one of those things in your throat it's an idea like, well, like how in she's not going to think she yeah. has one in her throat. Like in when she had one in her throat, there wasn't a thing in her throat in her fantasy world. So I'm like, well, they just put one in her throat and this is the reality in which maybe yeah. she gets so, to live now. Well, so this is the point where I had read the interview with the director and yeah. I think I initially was so you get about three fourths of the way through the movie. And it's one of these movies where even though she kills some of the aliens, they're so powerful that, you know, as a whole with their telekinetic powers and they can, you know, freeze her to where she can't move, you know, and all this. So you're thinking there's no way that she can defeat them. You know, she can't, unless it's some bogus thing, like, you know, we've seen in other movies where she it's gives water, water. Is she, like yeah. Or she gives them a virus or something and it kills all of them or whatever. But it's like, there's no way that she can defeat them. So and the name of the film is no, no one, will, one save will save you. And when the title thing happens about a minute in, it fills the entire screen. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's like yeah. literally two inches from your faces. No one will save you. <laughs> and, so anyway, you know, I really felt like they'd kind of painted themselves into a corner because it's like, how do you get out of this? And I think the the film does not tell you this. And I think when, you know, the filmmaker has to explain reasons for things that that gets kind of precarious. But after I read this, I thought, OK, I can go with this. The director said that. The way he viewed it is the. Um, the aliens viewed her as such a um, a good uh, adversary that it was like, well, we'd rather just kind of sort of throw a bone to her than to have to keep fighting her. Even though it seems like they could have destroyed her if they if they wanted to, but it's sort of like they respected her as an adversary. Basically, I see. Like, well, and if we put the, a thing in her throat, she just rips it out of her throat. So I guess we'd just give her everything she let her live in the world that she wants to live in, and that just give her what she wants. <laughs> right. And I also was thinking, I thought, okay, would these aliens feel? You know, they did they did this because they felt sorry for her, and I just thought. That seems implausible, but the the director also said that it would be kind of like, you know, even though we uh, are not on the same level as a dog and we could obviously, you know, destroy a dog if we wanted to, we can also feel sorry for a dog, right? You know, have have pity on that. So that's sort of what that that's what he's saying yeah. is that like they sort of pitied her. They pitied her, and they also looked at her as an adversary. So it's sort of like, hey, and 
Um, but aside from them, uh, she also needed, you know, what happened. And it's not like they would have purposely done this, but she was able to finally have closure and forgive herself. So it's sort of like she can ultimately be, you know, happy now at this point, which she'd never had the ability to before over the last 10 years. And the director also said, I don't know if there's, I mean, maybe, maybe there is, he didn't say anything about symbolism at all. Right. Um, but he said also, he, he said, you know, I, I kicked this girl's ass for, you know, almost 90 minutes of the runtime of the movie. And I wanted her to, to have a happy ending. Essentially. He's like, I yeah. liked the character so much that I wanted I wanted yeah. things to work out for him, but it, you know, after I would, I initially wasn't that crazy about the ending. And then after, you know, more I thought about it, I was like, kind of liked it. And it was obviously unique. And also, again, I think ultimately I prefer an ending like this than to have her actually defeat them, which just seems like that would be impossible. Right. If it was Nicolas Cage, he would defeat the alien invasion. Yeah. And if it was Invasions of the Body Snatchers, you don't get any kind of happy ending. It just, yeah. It's a zombie movie. Eventually, everybody dies. Nobody right. makes it out. Um, so this is a night. I mean, that's why I think it's Twilight Zone. It's surreal, but it also tries to, like, send the kids off to bed without giving mm -hmm. them nightmares. <laughs> There's a prime yeah. time element to it. But... That's interesting hearing all of that, thinking about it that way. Like, they did put a thing in her throat, and she literally reached down her own throat and pulled it out. So you're like, well, that doesn't work, right? And, and I don't mm -hmm. know why they feel like they need to have a one-to-one. -one. Like, we tried cloning her, and that didn't work. Well, just kill her. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's like, why do you need yeah. one of her? Who cares? What are the aliens doing with the local population? It's not like why even put a parasite in them and control them anyway? It's like, well, yeah, we, we, we get no explanation. Do you? That. There's no, I mean, there's just no, there's no, why take over people? They can clearly breathe our atmosphere and right. It's mm -hmm. never yeah. clear to me why they do that other than that. It's a scary, gross thing to have in the movie. Yeah. But by the end, they're kind of like, well, let's think about this for a second. We take over this town. It's a piece of cake. Um, there's this one young woman living, a lonely <laughs> young woman living alone in her house with her little fantasy world model of the way she wished life was. And almost from the get-go, she just starts body counting us like everybody we send in there to like, see what she's like. And you know, maybe whatever. She's just icing us. Yeah. And we did, you know, we we're more, so we got one down her throat that didn't take. All right, get her up here. Let's take a look, you know, and they see the story and it's like, Oh, all she wants is to, she just wants to have be forgiven by her friend basically and live. And, you know, she just wants the life she had, except she mm -hmm. wants this sense of forgiveness and to be one with a perfect little town. So, so well, well, let's just give her that. Let's just give her that. <laughs> like, and then we don't have to bother with. Right. She'll stop her. making yeah. waves. We'll give her yeah. whatever she wants to the, you know, the movie version of the life she wants and problem solved. Like she'll stay put. And... But again, it's like, well, what what are they having? Why? Why bother? Uh, another thing that the director said is, and you kind of touched on this uh, earlier on when the first, when she encounters the first alien, he comes in and, you know, he doesn't just immediately go after her. He comes in and like, he's rummaging through the refrigerator yeah, and he's poking like, around, looking at other things in the house. And, and he said, she was like number eight on his list of things to get to. It was like, you know, he was almost sort of like on a fact finding mission where it's yeah. like, oh, how does this thing work? And, and what does this do? You know, because yeah. they'd never seen any of these he, things. He's not even before. middle management. He's just right. one of the guys they sent down with a clipboard to be like, yeah, oh, OK, carbon. OK, they consume food. Oh, interesting. <laughs> you know, yeah, it has that air to it. He's not hunting. Yeah. Her. He, and then he hears the no. noise and he's, he's like, 
oh, is is there a person upstairs? You know, there, there's no fear. It's not like uh, there he's creeping around and he's afraid that the person upstairs is a threat. But he's like, oh, someone's home and he's coming up after her. Yeah. And and I got the feeling I don't know how you felt about this. Like we said, there's several different kinds of aliens. So the way it seemed sort of to me is the gray aliens are kind of the, you know, they're the bosses, basically. They're the maybe the most intelligent ones. And then you had I don't know what the little dwarf guy was exactly. Yeah. But, you know, he was there to fight her, I guess. And then and then I felt like the the big spider things were kind of like the attack dogs. Um, I don't know how you felt about that, but uh, I mean, they were clearly they seemed either to be different. Yeah, cast, but uh, none of that. None of that is really explained. No, none of that's really explained. Um, This was I mean, aggro and the big one is gets very aggro. But I guess it doesn't necessarily matter. I mean, it's not necessarily the point, but but this was one of those rare movies where I felt like. I could have used another 15 or 20 minutes this that sort of flesh thing cuz I would like to know how the what the point of having the you know the humans with the things in their necks and all that cuz we don't see very much of that at all you know they Yeah. Um, yeah, I agree with you. I don't I don't need a ton of didactic explainerating, but I though I did have those questions and it doesn't ruin my enjoyment of the movie not to know those, but it would have scratched even to some gesture towards it would have scratched an itch yeah in my brain you know he also said there and i I think it's fine that they left this out he said in the original story or maybe i don't even know if it made it to the script or not but he said they they uh initially had planned to show more what happened to her after the you know she killed her friend because she said he said basically there was time that she spent in like a juvenile detention place and oh. you know and uh um, sort of back and again we how how she got so scrappy yeah and and again we uh you know we have no idea what happened to her mother and you know that she lives and it's right. like she doesn't seem to have a job or anything you know she just has this giant beautiful house that she lives in right. and makes models and stuff yeah none of that maybe she me. was left a bunch of money I don't yeah know. none of that bugged me too much i, no. I thought well, okay well she's scrappy i mean heroines yeah. in horror movies are scrappy and um you know she lives alone in this what struck me as weird is that the whole town would revile her so yeah, you would think so the... voicelessly, like they just loathe her. Literally, this is probably presuming this was, you know, supposed to be set now-ish or in 2022 mm-hmm. or whatever, you know. The the tombstone says she died in 2012. So it's been 10 years and yeah. she bumps into the parents of Maud in the police station. Her father was the chief of police and Maud's mother spits in her face mm-hmm. and you're like... I'm not, some people never find forgiveness, but, and it, and it was your daughter, but this was your daughter's best friend. They were 12 and it was 10 years ago. I'm not saying they'd be, oh, hello, dear. They'd get over it uh, per se, but time changes a lot. But, 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 you know, if it happened yesterday, you spit in someone's face, spit in someone's face. That is some baller. I mean, you know, you could you could see that maybe the the parents would, you know, maybe never forgive her and always hate her. But you wouldn't think everybody in the town would hate her. You know what I mean? There, right. and she doesn't as the she's you know we gives don't her the stink eye right. The yeah, male we, guy we, gives we, her the stink eye. We we don't know much about her, but she obviously feels remorseful about this, and it doesn't seem that, you know, we're not presented anything else that like she was a serial killer or something, you know what I mean? So there are, you know, even horrible people have friends, you know, I mean, there would be, there would be somebody in the town that would, would feel sorry for her or like her. There would be a boy that would be attracted to her or something. And, And she is a pretty, yeah. You know, clean, well put together young woman. You know what I mean? Intelligent. She, you know. Exactly. And she's artistic. Yeah. And the house looks really nice and she looks really nice and she radiates this kind of sunny energy. And you're like, 
And once you see so, it, you're like, it wasn't an accident. It wasn't like a car accident. She hit her in the head with a rock. But she didn't like break into their house while she was asleep in bed and bash her skull in with a rock 16 times, right? They had a fight. She picked up a rock and knocked her friend in the head. It's pretty clear she didn't intend it. To kill her friend. I think she wasn't planning murder. You know, it was an accident. And there's, not an accident, I'm reading a, a fit of rage. Yeah. There's a moment in the police station where it seems as though everyone is going to speak. Mm-hmm. She comes face to face with them. She does a sharp inhale like she's going to speak. And then that's the point at which the mother spits in her face. What? Yeah, I'm doing a. I'm doing a. Why? Forty-three, forty-three. I don't remember what I was saying. You, you were saying, you know, there was like a moment that they were going to speak, and then the mom spits in her yeah, face. Yeah, 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 spits in her face, and then there's a moment, and the mom sort of then not storms off, but leaves, and she's standing there with spittle on her face, looking shocked. And there's a moment mm-hmm. where the chief of police, the father of Maud looks very torn, you know, and he almost wants to say something like, look, we we know you didn't mean to do it or something like that. Mm -hmm. Not maybe absolution, but, you know, I, I, she's just never been able to get past it or something, something human as a chief of police. Right. I mean, this guy has seen, has seen it all. I and mean, it was like they were 12. I mean, my heart will never mend, but at the same time, I don't think you meant to kill our daughter. Right. Yeah. But and he doesn't have those lines. This... He doesn't have those lines. He just sort of, he, he sort of just and follows his wife. And yeah. that plays into so many ways in this movie. They get around dialogue, you know, yeah, which is a I... lot of clever things that they do. Did know, the director to... talk at all about, I mean, because there are many, I... many times that. No, I, I didn't read anything about that. It would be a whole Shakespeare scene, but there's many, many times where yeah. you would just have words in passing with somebody mm-hmm. to make it feel like actual life. And this, there's a little bit of this that feels like the Twilight Zone the whole way through because literally nobody speaks in it. And when she yeah. does have words, it feels like um, a quiet place, right? There's mm-hmm. just this super close foca- focus and she's like, I'm sorry. Or something. It's just yeah. that the, 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 the fact that there are any words at all are so highlighted. Yeah. Did he talk? He didn't talk at all about I that? I thought that was just really creative and, and really just they expertly handled that, you know? Well, they did, they did. And I, I look, I love show. Don't tell, um, you know, you, you should be able to make a compelling movie without any dialogue at all. Uh, it's a visual medium, but I just, you know, it got to the point where they were, and that scene is a great case in point where they're so clearly trying to avoid there being any dialogue Yeah, that I was kind of like, talk about that a little bit. Like, What's wrong with a little bit of dialogue here and there? Like, it's such a deliberate choice. Mm-hmm. Did somebody dare you? <laughs> yeah. They're like, what is it? I haven't seen anything mm-hmm. about that. But yeah, like you said, it, it's almost like a silent film, you know. Um, and also, you know, I was thinking with the, also with the townspeople, we know there's a bus that goes in and out of the town. So at some point, presumably a new person would come there that wouldn't have any pre-existing knowledge of any right. of this. Would be like, "Hey, I think she's kind of nice. Why does everybody hate her?" You and know? some people are leaving town. I mean, it's like, yeah, the aliens seem to be taking over everywhere. So what difference does it make? Yeah, true. Yeah, I mean, maybe they're coming after her on the bus because they've identified her as one that killed one of their. Own. I don't know. It's just never I made guess, clear. I don't know. So how did was the was the ending satisfying to you? I mean, would you have preferred it in a different way or did you No, really I think like the, the end? I think the ending was satisfying. I think it it you know it it changed so much. Um it really was a twilight zone feeling ending. Um I liked that it wasn't um you know a Hollywood action movie where 
it's not Independence yeah. Day where they defeat the alien invasion. Um, I I like we've already mentioned. I would have liked a little more information on what the aliens are here for and what do they want. Like, what's the mm-hmm. agenda? It that it's doesn't a very have any tight... direct bearing on this one. This particular woman doesn't care. Yeah. But as a viewer, I was curious. Yeah, it, it's a very tight, you know, basically 90 minutes. And, and, you know, so, yeah, another 15 minutes or so, 10, 15 minutes, I think would, you know, would have uh, I would have been fine with. Um, this was similar to Prey that we watched. I guess that was last year. Uh, in that it was a a Hulu exclusive, and this was another one that um, I had read a lot of. Uh, I just read a lot of comments on Twitter of people saying, um, you know, they felt like they just kind of dumped this on Hulu, and that this could have been a theatrical release. Um, I don't know how well it would have done in comparison to Prey, you know, because this was a an original. Uh, thing I th- I think Prey probably would have done really well in the theater just based on the you know that it was tied to yeah. Predator. Um, I'm not sure how this would have would have done, but uh, are but, people you know, still saw... going to the movie? Like I know yeah. COVID is COVID's not over, but um, I know we've all just sort of agreed to like not be just doing pretend like it, it doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, um, but and I used to go to the movies pretty regularly like it was a thing i like to do i'm like oh, let me go out to my... and i had screens i could watch it at home mm-hmm. but i liked to go to the movies and i don't it kind of broke the movies for me i've been to the movies but i just, i don't go anymore i'm like well let's see if it comes out on stream yeah i don't think it's completely returned to normal but you know you had barbie that made over a billion dollars and i think oppenheimer is close to a billion um, and you know, horror movies are still making a lot of money, you know, they always open big. So, but, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Um, you, you also need original content for streamers, you know, so yeah. I'm not, I'm not upset that this wasn't in it. That well, I I'm sure they did the math. Movie. I'm sure they did the, like, if this gets buzzed, then I would be curious Does it say on there what the budget was for this. Uh, I will take a look. You talk some, and I will see what I can... While you are doing um, your homework, our homework, I will reiterate that our handle is Chris and Chris talk movies at gmail.com. That is our handle. We are on the socials. Um, we're on YouTube. We're on your podcast, favorite podcast app. Thank you. Like and subscribe. Yay! It's so nice to have you listening to us. So they list the budget as $22.8 million. Which that's not much at all. That is not much. Um, the only area, you know, to be a little bit nitpicky, the the only I, you know, this looked great. I thought it was shot really well. Um, I thought the the um, the CGI, you know, the aliens, I think, are pretty much entirely CGI, and the CGI was okay. It wasn't terrible. It, it was okay. Wasn't, it didn't take me out of the movie, but it wasn't amazing or anything right. i like the design of the of the aliens yeah they were pretty much they good. looked they looked good yeah um but i i think that was where the the low budget kind of showed a little bit that was you know they weren't maybe in a bigger budget movie that the aliens would have looked a little more yeah the squiggly but, thing looked um, but other than that CGI. i mean there wasn't yeah other than that there wasn't and that that's pretty nitpicky really i don't i don't think there was anything else to really criticize it about right i yeah Overall, taken as a whole, I thought this was thoroughly enjoyable. Like, are there obviously would, we th- are there things we can critique about it? Yeah, but it felt like I hope a very this, small movie done very well. And I hope that this does well enough that this director will get to do more stuff like this. Because I, I wonder, thought it was pretty impressive. What was the uh, budget on Prey? Is that something you can look up quickly? Uh, let me take a look. Because it's it has a similar small movie feel. Sixty-five million. Sixty-five. So a bit more. Yeah, that's more like a regular dramatic film. I know twenty, believe me, give me twenty million dollars, I'll figure out a way never to work again <laughs> in my life. Yeah, yeah. But um I 
But for a movie that feels like it could have been a theatrical release, that's not a huge budget. I mean, obviously, people make movies for $150,000, but they don't have effects like this. The effects aren't yeah. good like this. I mean, I, I watched a little behind the scenes thing on YouTube and where they were sort of having doors blow off and the way they had the wires all rigged. And it was very mm-hmm. professionally done. And mm-hmm. all that stuff costs money. I mean, you got to you got to hire sure. people that know how to do that and there's safety issues and you want it to look right. And this whole movie, there's a lot of practical effects in this movie. Um, and there's a lot of CGI. And presumably, presumably, uh, even though the house looks very real, I would guess that they probably built the house for the movie. Yeah, maybe an actual house. Uh, It's probably a combination uh, of both. It could be probably for the exteriors. I doubt that they built a house. Yeah. But they, they probably did build some interior sets to, um, you know, augment. But anyway, all of that stuff adds up and, and what you save on a movie that looks this good. I don't know what, um, what our leads I'm sure she's doing pretty good um but she's not Arnold Schwarzenegger right what you don't no. have is a list names in this and that's how you save that's how you keep it at 20 and you don't start pushing 100 it's just paying a list sure. actors salaries these days is a lot and you know i people talk about this a lot but uh, now this, the reason why this got dumped and kind of the same thing happened with prey is it was part of the acquisition of 20th century Fox that, you know, when Disney took them over and I guess Disney just didn't want to, they didn't want to bother with releasing these movies. Um, and they're putting them on Hulu, but you know, these $20 million, $30 million, 60, $60 million movies. I think people are almost begging for more and more of these to be made, you know? Well, was it perfect? No. And Prey wasn't perfect either, but they both felt really fresh. Yeah. They both had original visions. It didn't feel like a Michael Bay movie or even a studio Michael Bay knockoff where they're like, they hired some younger person and said, can you make a movie look like, a? can you make a Michael Bay movie basically? Um. So you have enough, I mean, I don't know how much freedom you actually have at a $20 million budget. That's money. That's still significant money. People are going to be, but I think it, that's, that's a lower stakes gamble for a studio. Um, then, yeah. You know, and so it's, it's not exactly a Petri dish, but I think they're taking people that they think will do a good job and they're giving them a little bit of actual capital and money, you know, and they're like, yeah, great you know go make a go make a movie you know we're investing in you as a young filmmaker and i think what you get is a fresh result and you're right i feel starved for that oh yeah yeah and this would have been no better or maybe not even as good if you put a name actor in this role you know or somebody you know like i say she was great i agree with you and I agree with and you, you, and it makes me think. It makes me think of the one we just watched, right? It makes me think of Inherent Vice. I thought all those celebrity faces in those roles that was fun, but it was distracting. Ultimately, mm-hmm. it became this kind of celebrity showcase, and you know, I think that takes away from the movie, honestly. And in this one, I was like, "Who is she? She looks so familiar to me." And she's clearly great. I mean, she does a fantastic mm-hmm. job. And I just watched, because of this, and for some other reasons, I just watched another movie she was in, and she was fantastic in that very, very different character. Mm-hmm. So she is a rising star for sure. Um, but you know, I'm trying to think of a. I'm kind of at a loss for somebody who would be her age. That's a big star. I don't know. You put Selena Gomez in this role or whatever. You know, and you've got to pay her whatever you know, she makes. Right. Uh, and it wouldn't be any better. I wouldn't think, you know, it's hard to imagine somebody else doing a better job in this role. There was Mm -hmm. no parts in it watching her performance where I was like, Hmm, didn't quite land that. I thought she absolutely aced it. It has to show all these different ranges of emotion. And, and, And like we've said, 
without speaking most of the time. And she did it very, very ably, very, very mm -hmm. ably. And my problems with it are, have nothing to do with her execution of the role and more to do with what felt like the filmmaker's insistence on not having any dialogue and leaving things yeah. deliberately cryptic. And I think on the one hand, it's kind of effective because here we are talking about it, hungry for more. You got to leave them want more, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, it makes me more likely to go back and watch it again and see if I can't mm -hmm. pick up little clues that I missed. But on the other hand, if it's after your first viewing, it, it's a kind of an itch that I'm just like, mm -hmm. ah, you could have given me a little bit more on that. Yeah. Yeah. But none of that's her. I think she... Yeah, it's a slam dunk. Slam dunk. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, 100%. Um, you really care for her, too. You really care about mm -hmm. her. She's an interesting-looking actor. She's kind of, mm -hmm. kind of a sharp nose. I mean, she's very pretty. Yeah. Um, but she's got a an interesting face. She doesn't just have a magazine face, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, she's really, I think she's got a bright future. <laughs> oh, yeah. She's clearly going places. I, I can't wait to see what else she's in. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay. Well, I mean, we're about at time. I did our little handle. Do we know what we want to do next? So, well, you had talked about that you watched uh, kind of her other big movie, which was Booksmart. Oh, yeah, so yeah, right. That's that. the movie. That's the movie I just was Booksmart, which is an Olivia Wilde. She directed by, that, yeah. right? Prior, and we did yeah. Don't Worry Darling not too long ago. Yes. Um, my friend Melissa, who's a filmmaker here in town, is a big, big fan of that film. And that was one mm -hmm. of the other reasons why I watched it is because she's been book smart this and book smart that. And I was like, I actually haven't mm -hmm. seen it. And she said, well, you got to watch it. And then I saw this and I'm like, oh, well, okay. The universe is telling me I got to watch this movie. And I did watch it last night. It's great. Spoiler yeah. alert. Um, Spoiler alert. So, I mean, I'd love to talk about it. I'd love to get Melissa on with us. Have a special guest, that would be fun. Yeah, because yeah. we haven't done that in a long time. Travis also would like to do another episode with us at some point. Oh, awesome, yeah. And I think now yeah. that we're using Riverside, that'll be easier. We can be wherever we are, and we'll all just, we'll, there'll just be three voices. Okay, cool. So, cool. I guess that's, so maybe we'll do, I guess our next one will be um, Booksmart. Booksmart, okay. Yeah, that sounds good. And so I guess... Both of us would recommend this one. I would definitely recommend this one, especially yeah. if you have Hulu and you like horror and you're looking for someone to watch. 90 minutes, nothing to object to there. Um, I just thought it was really fresh and, and really great. I agree. And I think this, you know, this would appeal to a pretty wide audience. I think it's PG-13, so it's not like super violent or anything. It is scary. It's, it's scary, um, but it's not... You know, I didn't have nightmares or anything like that. No, and uh, it's not gross. I want to tell you, there's, there's like, you know, there's some creepy crawly. The thing in the throat is gross, but it's not like saw. It's not like people being dismembered. No. no, we'll have to talk about this later. And this is maybe one that we could cover at some point because I think you've seen it. I watched Jacob's Ladder this week. Oh yes, and I had not seen it since I was like sixteen or seventeen or whatever. And I remember it as being terrifying. Right. And I'm not kidding. I mean, I like horror and I watch a lot of horror movies, but I was going to start it one night and I was like, I don't know if I want to watch that before bed. <laughs> and then I finally watched it uh, like two nights ago. And it turns out it's way more of a drama than I remembered yeah. it being. I, 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 you know, the horror stuff stood out in my yeah. mind, but, uh, well, once you but know, I was shocked. At, once you know yeah. the this, this secret. Once you know yeah. the shape of the whole thing, I think it, it takes on a very different cast. But And I think watching it at 50 yeah. versus watching it at 16 yeah. is also different, too. Yeah, yeah, that's true. But it's a testament. Because it's a drama in which all this increasingly crazy stuff happens, and that effect of the guy in the corner with his head going, yeah. uh, nobody had done that before. I, I hadn't seen that right. anywhere. Now you see it a lot. Yeah, and people are like oh, yeah. nobody even knows this is from. I'm like it's from Jacob's Ladder. <laughs> it was they, really unsettling, you know. You watch it and you're like, wow, a lot of movies ripped this off because in, in it was so ways. effective. And by the time you yeah. got to the end, you had gone on a real emotional roller coaster ride. But it was not overt horror. It was yeah, a drama yeah. that got increasingly unsettling and uncanny 
to the point of being really you didn't first think this was a supernatural movie but by hmm. by the third quarter of it you're like are demons real i mean didn't we just see like hmm. is this a gods and demons movie you know, and then yeah. you can, then you get the, we shouldn't spoil it here. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to spoil the ending because maybe we'll cover this. At but some it's, point it's if, a if testament like to, do oh. you remember the horror of it to how effective and that, yeah, a slow burn that stuff that stood out was, in my mind. Slow burn. Yeah. That I, for the last 30 years or whatever it's been, I have said to people, when people say like, oh, what's the scariest movie you've ever seen? Like that would be one that I'd be like, oh yeah, that's one of the scariest movies I've ever seen. And then I watched it now and it's like, those are still horrific scenes, but it's a, it's very touching and sad. Well, you know? and it in his paranoia and distress is so effective yeah. in it. That's Tim yes. Tim Robbins. Tim Robbins and yeah. his performance in it as a guy who just doesn't know what's going on. And and there's a strong element of it. he thinks he's going insane. That's a very plausible yes. sure, thing yeah. that occurs to him. And that it just ratchets up and ratchets up and ratchets up to the point where. Um, it's, it's really harrowing. Um, yeah. Another, I'll, I'll say this last thing and then I know we need to, uh, to end things, but, uh, I was really into Tim Robbins at that time. We did, we, did we do the player? We did the player, we did right? The player, yeah. We talked about it. We did the player. Um, and that one I loved. And another one that I was just looking through his filmography that I think would be fun to do because I think it's probably one of these movies that has become more, uh, it was sort of ahead of its time. Did you ever see Bob Roberts? I did. Yeah. I thought you were going to say Shawshank. Would be, <laughs> no, no. Uh, yeah, everybody's seen it. But, uh, but Bob Roberts, I think, would be fun to visit now because I think a lot of, it almost kind of predicted a lot of the way things have gone with politics, you know? We could do Bob Roberts. Um, yeah, that would be fun to do sometime. But 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 book smart for next time. Book smart for next time. Join us, Chris and Chris Talk Movies at gmail dot com. Let us know what you think and make a suggestion and be our friends. <laughs> yeah, that be our friends, please. <laughs> and thanks for joining us today. And uh, unless you have anything else to add, oh, then Chris Huddleston and Chris Ferry will talk to you all next week.